Corinthians chapter 3. And we'll be reading verses uh, 18 through chapter 4, verse 5. And before we do that, let's go ahead and go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we we thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. Uh, We thank you for the study in 1 Corinthians. And as we turn our attention to the reading of your word and preaching of your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be very present here uh, teaching us. We pray that you would please uh, fill Pastor Mike, with your Holy Spirit, and help him to preach your word uh, with boldness, with clarity of thought, in spirit and in truth. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting at verse 18. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God's. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his, commenda- his commendation from God. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. I'm very glad to be here this morning also. Greeted this morning by Zeke. Where are you at, Zeke? Oh, where isn't your assigned seat over there? How did you how did you get over there? Uh, I don't know if you uh, enjoy seeing these smiling faces, uh, Zeke and uh, Dick Carter, often in, uh, in the morning uh, out there as you uh, as you come in. I was especially blessed this morning as as I walked in. Uh, Zeke just goes right into the Word with me. Just uh, he's been in the Word this week, and just and just we we're just getting into it and talking about First Corinthians. Uh, passage that will be in, in in a few weeks. It reminded me of a uh, elderly woman from uh, years ago. Used to call me all the time, and she would just start off the phone conversation uh, Ezekiel twenty four, you know, and 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 I'm going over to my computer, and and she's like, yeah, Pastor Ezekiel twenty four seven. What is this? What is going on here? And and she she was just in the Word of God, and when she had. When she had issues, she would just call me. Her name was Alberta. And uh, was, you reminded me of Alberta this morning. Uh, but uh, what's that? <laughs> no, 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 no issues. She, she, was, she was constantly uh, searching the scriptures. And uh, Alberta was. And you are too, Zeke. And that's what, that's what you reminded me of uh, today. All right. What am I doing here? We're preaching, right? Yeah, okay. 
Uh, let's, uh, let's pray before we uh, get into the word of God one more time. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, uh, Lord, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for its clarity. We ask that we would see it as authoritative over our lives. Lord, some of us have come with hunger for the word, with hunger for you, and we have been searching the scriptures this week. Others of us, Lord, were not there. And so I'm asking right now that the Holy Spirit would bring a desire for the word of God and for Jesus Christ uh, to each of us, asking that the spirit would be at work in Jesus name. Amen. So first Corinthians chapter three and verse 18, let's get straight into it today. Uh, Paul uh, writes there, uh, beginning in verse 18, says, do not deceive yourselves. If any one of you thinks he is wise, by the standards of this age, he should become a fool so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about men. Let's pause here. So the beginning of verse 21, no more boasting about men. Just a reminder, if you haven't been here the last three or four weeks, what's going on in Corinth in this section is they were boasting about their their superheroes, their Christian leaders, uh, Apollos, uh, Paul, uh, whomever. They were acting like children, the Corinthians were, and and they're they're, uh, boasting about these leaders as the secular world would do with their uh, professional speakers on the speaking circuit. So Paul is still in this frame of mind of gently correcting the Corinthians. And he begins this in verse 18, uh, saying to them, not to deceive themselves if you think you are wise. Uh, You're not if you are operating by the standards of this age. And he's saying the same thing to us today. Don't deceive yourselves. Uh, We need to be distrustful of our own reason and our own thinking. Uh, This is a hard thing uh, for us uh, to do. Beautiful picture of uh, Half Dome there, huh? It's interesting how powerful a screen is. You know what I'm saying? I'm like talking and then everybody, uh, everybody's eyes go, go right over there. Do we lose, uh, we lose our our slides there? Can somebody go back and, and, uh, oh, there we go. We're back. Okay. We're all back together. So, uh, What I was saying, what Paul is saying, is that we have to be distrustful of our own wisdom, of our own minds, of our own thought processes. And if you're like me, we are the exact opposite. We are very confident in ourselves, and we think that we're right, and I think that I have understanding in this area. And apart from the Scriptures and apart from the Word of God, this is not the case. We see this truth in Proverbs 3, 5, very well known. But trust, the Lord, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. This is what Paul is beginning with here in verses 18 and following. And then he quotes a couple passages. He quotes Job uh, 5.13. He catches the wise in their craftiness. This is the only quotation of Job in the New Testament. Then he quotes Psalm 94 in verse 20. The Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So don't boast about your superheroes. You need to get your wisdom from the word of God 
and, and from the gospel. Matthew Henry uh, writes this uh, about Christians, about uh, uh, the use of our minds and reasons. He, he says he must be sensible. The Christian must be sensible of his own ignorance and lament it. He must distrust his own understanding and not lean on it. To have a high opinion of our wisdom is but to flatter ourselves. And self-flattery is the very next step to to self-deceit. The way to true wisdom is to sink our opinion of our own to a due level. To sink our view of ourselves and be willing to be taught of God. He must become a fool who would be be truly and thoroughly wise. The person who resigns his own understanding that he may follow the instruction of God is on the way to true and everlasting wisdom. So he's, he's coming back to this gentle correction. He's, he's asking them not to rely on their own understanding, but on the word of God and on the gospel. And then we come to this, this phrase, this sentence that is going to be more or less the centerpiece of, of, the, of the sermon today. In, in the middle of verse 21, he then says, All things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are of Christ and Christ is of God. What is he saying here? What he's saying is he, is he is speaking about the centrality of the church. The word yours here is referring to the church. And Paul is comparing this, this trivial child, childishness of the Corinthians who are getting all excited about these uh, superhero pastors, missionaries, as it were. They're, they're thinking in worldly ways. And, and, he, and he is contrasting that childish and that worldly thinking to... This great concept of the church. All things are yours. Everything. The church is front and center on God's stage, uh, on the universe. And it is this glorious thing. It is this beautiful thing. It is this this majestic thing. And it's not about just having people that that you really like. It's so much bigger than that. It's massive. So we're going to talk about the church for a moment. The word doesn't occur here, but this is what he's referring to with this phrase. All things are yours. One uh, commentator, uh, Robert Duncan Culver, he, he writes this. He says, the preeminence of the church in God's scheme of things could hardly be stated more vigorously than in several texts from the epistle to the Ephesians. Moving to Ephesians now. With moving rhetorical power, Paul says in the closing verses of chapter 1 that God the Father has designated Christ as Lord of all creation and appointed Him to be head over everything for the church. The church, which is His body. The fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. So this contrast between, this is who I like, this is my favorite guy, you don't have him. This contrast between that and this, this awesome, this awesome, indestructible bride of Christ, this community, the church. 
Another commentator uh, puts it this way. The church is not the property of apostles like Paul and Apollos or or others, the, the, the 12 included. Apostles are ministers of the church. Paul and Apollos and Cephas and and whoever it is that are your leaders, they are ministers or servants uh, of the church. Taking a few moments here and taking a step back and just looking at the grandeur and the centrality of the church, which is on the center of God's stage, the universe. Uh, Jonathan Edwards uh, writes this. He says, God created the world for his son that he might prepare a spouse or a bride. The New Testament in Revelation in particular describes the church as the bride of Christ. God created the world for his son that he might prepare a spouse or bride for him to bestow his love upon so that the mutual joys between this bride, that's us, and the bridegroom, Christ, are the end of creation. The church is, is center stage. And we, we, we often, I, th- I don't think we think about this. This is why I'm lingering. This is why I'm talking about this. And, and um, you know, I, I don't know uh, if you are like me, but as I uh, look back and think back on my life uh, as a teenager, as a boy before I, I came to know the Lord, there's many, uh, many nights um, I was lying, uh, lying on the bed or just thinking, what is life all about? What are we here for? What, 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 is, what is the universe, what, what, what am I here for? What is, what, what is the universe here for? Uh, anybody remember asking, maybe you're even still asking. So I, I, I can remember as a boy just asking those questions. And, and I didn't have any answers, didn't understand really. And it's been pretty slow in, in, in coming. But as the word of God has worked its way into my heart and my mind, I've come to understand that what the Bible teaches is that this universe was created so that God could display his beauty and his glory. He does this in creation. He does it in the stars. He does it in in the sunsets. He does it in a variety of ways. But he does it mostly in his son Jesus and in this plan of redemption that involves the bride of Christ, the church. And this mutual love between the church and Jesus is center stage in displaying his glory and why the universe exists. And this is what Paul is getting at here as they are getting all excited again about their about their superheroes. And so I'm praying that our understanding of what the church is now and and then we're going to move to our role in the church my role and your role in the church would be would be deepening this morning this is this is what i've been praying and and this is this is why i'm preaching what i'm preaching so i want to want to talk a little bit about the church first off how we use the word church in everyday english how we use it want to want us to have an awareness of this we we all uh, this is how we all uh, speak uh, we use the word uh, church in a variety of ways. Uh, church usually ends uh, at noon, right? So we'll see. Today, maybe a little bit earlier, maybe a little bit longer. Church usually ends at, n- at noon. So here, the word church is referring to this worship service. It's referring to this gathering, this, this meeting that we have. This is a way that we use uh, the word church. Another way that we use it is Cornerstone is an evangelical free church or the Eastern Orthodox Church or some other church. So we, we, we use the word church 
and referring to a denomination or to a theology or to a tradition. Uh, we, use it, we use it that way. Another way that we use the word church, Friday the air conditioning failed at the church right here. It, it did. Is it great? Was it cold this morning at your house? Were you guys shocked at how cold it was today? It was like a sauna in here on Friday. And the guy was here working on the air conditioning. We used the word church to describe a building. Uh, the air conditioning failed at the church on Friday. Now, this is not, these are not the way, these are not the ways that the New Testament uses the word church primarily. So how does the New Testament uh, use this word church? This word isn't even occurring here in our passage, but Paul is contrasting the church to the trivial childishness that's going on in Corinth. So a couple ways the church, the word church is used in the New Testament. It is used to refer to believers in Jesus who are organized into a, into a family, in, into a body, a local body in a given locality. The very beginning of the book of Corinthians uh, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, uh, uh, the, the church at, at Cornerstone, and the church uh, in a variety of places is gathered today in, in Auburn and, and all over uh, the world. So this is one of the, the main ways the word is used. A second way that the word is used in the New Testament is that uh, every believer in, is referring to every believer in Jesus across the centuries, the, cho- the church universal or the invisible church. These are are, dis- are terms that theologians have used to describe the church, uh, invisible or universal, referring to everyone who is, who is genuinely redeemed and in, in relationship with Jesus has been adopted into his family by faith in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. We see an example of this in Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church not referring to the church at Ephesus there or the church at Corinth or the, the church at Cornerstone, but referring to the church worldwide from the time of, of Christ up until he comes back. That's who he gave himself for, this bride, this beautiful, beautiful bride. This is a glorious picture that we have uh, in the New Testament about uh, the church. A couple more things about the church, a couple more comments. John Frame he, he brings this out. He says Jesus did not just die for individuals. He died for a people, a body, a bride, consisting of many people united in the bonds of a larger whole. Notice that the church is people, not buildings, although it is right that the people have buildings in which to meet. In one church I've attended, the worship leader typically welcomes the people at the beginning of the service and thanks them for bringing the church into this room. That greeting epitomizes the biblical emphasis. I love that. I love that. Thank you for bringing the church into this room today. We, we, we love to be together. Pastor Adam was expressing that, that joy of being back with our, with our family. The church is you. The church is me. We are this part of this incredible, invisible universal body we're part of this local body here so the church is front and center on god's stage his stage of of the universe it's an it's an uh, amazing and and mind-boggling thought and and one that that i think we need to meditate on more now as we move through this passage we're going to shift gears to talking about what our 
responsibilities are within the church as Paul gives direction here. So let's move down to chapter 4 and verse 1. So he's made this contrast, the grandeur of the church compared to the the childishness going on in, in Corinth, and then he comes to verse one of chapter four, with this, which is connected. We see the, the NIV has so then. There's a, there's a connecting word there, connecting what was before to what's coming. So then, four one, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ. As servants. Not as superheroes, but as servants. Every believer plays an important role, and we play role, uh, we play a role as servants, not as superheroes. And so I want to ask and answer the question, what do we serve? Or whom do we serve? And you serve, and I serve Jesus. This is ultimately, primarily, this is simple. This is who we serve. We serve Jesus. So how do we serve him? How do we do that? I think it's very easy for us to fall into a compartmentalizing uh, way of, of answering this question. We serve him by coming to church on Sunday. We serve him by uh, giving. We serve him by um, spending time uh, in the morning with him. And we check this off and, and we go on with our day. And this is not the picture of the New Testament, and how we serve Jesus. We serve Jesus with everything that we are, with, with our entire life. All those things are important I just mentioned. We, I want us to gather on Sunday mornings. I want us to spend time, uh, as, as Zeke has done, uh, studying the Word of God and, and searching it out in, in 1 Corinthians. We want to do that, but, but God wants our entire lives to be for Him. We are serving Him always. All the time. Romans 12.1 Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Not a moment where I, I do the Lord here, not a moment there, but a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. 24-7, as long as He gives us breath, we are to serve Him. Even in our sleep, I pray for my wife and my children every night and i pray that they would have sweet sleep and they know by that i'm praying that their thoughts and their dreams even while they're sleeping that they would be true and noble and bright and pure and lovely and admirable excellent and praiseworthy that we would be serving jesus even in our sleep so we serve him uh, with our entire lives and this is how paul is describing how church leaders and every one of us should be thought of as servants of of Christ. And then he goes on. Let's come back to the text here. Chapter 4, verse 1. So then men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God, as the NIV has it. The ESV has the mysteries of God. The King James Version also has it that way. So we are servants and we are entrusted with the mysteries of God. So we should be asking as, as Bible students, what, it, what, is this, what are the mysteries? What is this referring to? And, and if we have been uh, following along, going back to chapter 2 and verse 1, Paul has already used in the singular form this word mystery to refer to the gospel. 
We have been entrusted with the gospel. That's the mystery. It was mysterious in the Old Covenant and in the Old Testament. It, it wasn't clearly seen. It was there, but they didn't, they didn't quite see it. It was, it was shadowy. It was a mystery, but it has been revealed with the coming of Jesus and the incarnation. So now we have this gospel, and this is what we have been entrusted with the mysteries of God. And the reason I think this is plural is he's including here not just the gospel, but things related to the gospel. Things like the gospel breaks down the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile, between slave and free, between uh, Greek and barbarian. These are mysteries. This is is unthinkable in times past. The gospel is is to, to break down economic and social and racial barriers. And, to, and, and this beautiful church, this, this cosmic and invisible and universal thing is why the universe has been created to display the beauty and the glory of God. So we are called to be stewards, to be entrusted with this gospel. And so we serve not only Jesus, but we need to serve, um, we serve uh, we, as stewards of the gospel, we are, we are not primarily stewards of religious regulations or of buildings or of those kinds of things. The identity of us in Christ, according to this passage, is as servants and as stewards of the gospel. And what we serve now, we serve not only Jesus, but we serve the gospel and we serve it to others. We, we are called to spread and to display and to serve the gospel uh, to others. I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Are, are, you, uh, are you not ashamed of the gospel, church, this morning? Are you not ashamed? Are you awake? Are you with me? Are you, let me try that again, are you not ashamed of the gospel? Yes, that, 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 that's an awkward way to put it. So let's say here, are you, uh, are you longing to live out the gospel? Yes. All right. All right. Okay. Um, I'm glad this is the church in here. And we um, we have a longing to want to live out the gospel, but it is hard. It is difficult to spread this gospel that we've been entrusted with, not for ourselves, but to spread it and to share it with others. It is not easy. It is a challenge. Uh, It is difficult. I have been reading a biography on John uh, Chrysostom, he says there is nothing chillier than a Christian who is not trying to save others. There's nothing chillier than a Christian who is not being a steward of the mysteries, of the mystery of the gospel, and, and, and displaying it and sharing it with others. Very interesting story. I'm just early on in this biography, but uh, Chrysostom, uh, he lived in a time where if you really loved God, if you were really mature, you, you left and you took off for the hills and you, and you lived in a cave and you lived very simply and you prayed a lot. You lived in isolation, perhaps. In fact, he did that. He did that. And over time, he realized that to be a steward of the gospel involves spreading it to others and helping save others and helping love others. And we've got to come down out of the hills because we are desperately needed by the people in town. 
And so he went that way, but then he came back. And so the Lord is calling us as a church to be stewards of the mysteries of the gospel. The secret things of God that have been revealed in Jesus' death and burial and resurrection. And we have been proclaiming this gospel for 2,000 years. But the Lord wants us to, to love him so much that we are eager to, to, to share and, and to spread this. So I want to share with you a couple stories of, of, of people from our congregation who are, who are working on, on being stewards of the gospel and, and spreading it. And I've talked to them and asked their permission, so you don't need to get nervous right now. And I and, uh, wonder if I'm going to do this about you uh, next week. But uh, one of them is, is Lori Sloan. Lori's right, right over here. And Lori, um, Lori has a family member, like probably every one of us, who, uh, who is not yet, not yet a, a, a believer. Um, or perhaps a better way to put it is she is not fully embraced the gospel. And this family member of Lori's the particular stumbling block here is over the actual death of Jesus. How could God, the, how could God kill his son would be the perspective. How, how can a loving God kill his son? She doesn't, she, she struggles with it. She doesn't understand that the love of God is, is actually behind that and that is more of a picture of a love of God than really anything else. He loves us so much that he would redeem a people from the world by pouring his wrath out on his son instead of on us. This is, this is an expression of his love, but, but, she, but she couldn't get that. She doesn't get that. And so Lori has just been trying to spread uh, the love of Jesus around her. And Lori is involved in, in uh, pro-life ministry. And, uh, and she uh, is often going down to uh, abortion clinics and, and, and so on. And this would be the very last way. If we were going to have a class on how to spread the gospel, this, this wouldn't even make the list of, of this is what you should do, what Lori did. So she invites her, th- th- this family member, to come with her down to one of the abortion clinics. And what do you know? This is, this is an opportunity where she is actually able to see the love of Jesus and moving closer to the Lord and, and faith through Lori's witness by just, just bringing her down there, the, bringing the gospel to everyday parts of life. And for Lori, everyday part of her life is, is going down to this uh, abortion clinic. She's trying to spread the gospel to a family member. She's trying to be a steward of it. She is being a steward of it. The Lord wants us to be stewards of the mystery of the gospel. Um, it's, it's hard work. It's a challenge for us to do this. Um, my, uh, my wife is the other example I'm, I'm going to use here today. She, uh, I pray for my wife as she works part-time. My prayer for her for many years has been that she would love her patients and that she would love their parents. At the heart of the gospel is love. We're going to get there eventually, 1 Corinthians 13, love. My wife is shy. Okay if I say that, hon? She's shy. Anybody else here shy? 
So, that, so this is difficult. How do I spread the gospel? How am I a good steward? How, how, how do I seek to love those who desperately need him and, and share the gospel with him when, when I'm, just, I'm just shy? I'm, not, I, I, I'm just going to go to work and do my thing there. And so I, I'm praying for her that, that her love for her patients and her parents would display the gospel. And over the years, that has been the case. And so stuff ends up happening when we, when we love others and display the gospel. And so uh, some time ago, and, and this isn't even what, where my prayers were focused, the Lord often takes our prayers and edits them and uses them in other ways. One of her colleagues is in crisis. A colleague who, again, doesn't believe the gospel, isn't, isn't, isn't uh, not yet a believer. Who does she go to? Whose office does she walk into and close the door and say, will you talk with me? And, and my wife ends up praying for this woman because she has been displaying the love of Jesus day in and day out, year after year, and she has an opportunity to be now someone who can actually communicate the gospel with someone because she's been displaying it. So this is what Paul is saying to the Corinthians and what he's saying to us, that our identity is to be servants, our identity is to be stewards of the gospel, not of religious regulations or of buildings or of heroes. Uh, and we are to spread this. We are, we are on mission. Come back to the text here, chapter 4 and verse 2. Paul writes, Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. We have to be faithful with this gospel. Um, we, 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 we need to, to, to spread it and to share it. And so my prayer for you, my prayer for me, is that we would be faithful to the mission that Jesus has given us, the mission of making disciples, the mission of spreading the gospel, whether we are uh, spreading gospel themes by loving others or whether we are explicitly sharing the gospel, we want to do both. This is a both and. We're faithful to the mission. So my prayer for you is that you would have a heart like the Apostle Paul. This is the beginning point. I hope you're saying, okay, I'm not one who is spreading the gospel, if that's you. I'm not one who's, 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 who's being a good steward of it. I want to be a good steward of it. Where does it begin? Look at Paul's heart here in Romans 9. He says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. I want you to see his heart here. He's talking about fellow Israelites. And Paul is saying, as he sees them not believing in Jesus, but rejecting Jesus, he is so full of sorrow and unceasing anguish that he is willing to be cursed and cut off if they would come to faith. He has a heart for people that don't know Christ. This is the starting point, church. This, this is where we have to begin. You have to ask God to give you a heart like this. I'm not sure for whom. For Paul, his heart was breaking for the Israelites. My question for you and for me this morning, who is your heart breaking for? And if it's not breaking, the place to begin is, Lord, give me a heart that would break for people that don't know him, for a family member, for a patient, 
for my patient's parents, for my colleagues at work, for my classmates, for your neighbor, for whomever it is. Give me a heart like that. So Paul has that heart. And, and of course, the Lord directed Paul's mission actually away from Israel, from the Jews, to the Gentiles. We see what his focus was in Romans 15. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Paul's missional focus was to be a missionary. He went to places where there is no church. There are no Christians. I'm going to spread the gospel to them. Once they become Christians, I'm out of there and I'm going somewhere else. This, this was his focus. My question for you today is, who, who is your focus? Ask God to give you that heart. And then ask him to give you a focus. Maybe it's the neighbor. Maybe it's a family member. Ask God to give you this missional focus. This is how he is correcting the Corinthians' childishness of boasting in heroes. He's saying we're servants and we are stewards of the gospel and we need to be found faithful in spreading this gospel. finish up here last few verses we'll move quickly through these verse three i care very little if i am judged by you corinthians or by any human court indeed i do not even judge myself my conscience is clear but that does not make me innocent verse four it is the lord who judges me That's an interesting verse. Paul's conscience is clear, but he's letting us know that a clear conscience doesn't mean that I'm innocent because our consciences are fallen even and not that trustworthy. His conscience is clear, but it's the Lord who judges me, not you. Paul has been criticized and judged by fellow believers by the Corinthians. He's saying, I'm not too concerned with that. Verse 5, therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. Final point this morning is that Paul and you and I, as our role in the church, we are to be eager to give grace. We should be disinclined to pronounce judgment. There were folks who were pronouncing judgment upon Paul, other believers. We should be disinclined to do that. These are are all people who are proclaiming the gospel. It's different if they're preaching a false gospel, but if they're preaching the gospel, we should be disinclined. If they believe the gospel, we should be disinclined to pronounce judgment on other Christians. We should have movement toward grace. This is what it looks like to be the church, which is at the center of the stage of God's universe that he created. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, I ask that you would give us hearts to be on mission. You have entrusted us as the church with this gospel, with this great news. So Lord, I I don't know even how to pray. There are so many different things that keep us from having the kind of heart that Paul had, the kind of heart that Jesus had. 
compassion for those who don't know you. Lord, it's hard work. So for those of us that are, that are engaged, I pray that you, would, that you would give us strength. And for those of us that are, that are not engaged, that we are not spreading and displaying the gospel in everyday life, we ask that tonight, today, for some of us here, today may be a turning point where we would begin to pray that you would give us sorrowful hearts and compassionate hearts that we would be sorrowful for those who don't yet know you that we wouldn't just go on living as though it doesn't matter eternity is at stake we thank you for allowing us to be entrusted with this message help us to be good stewards of it in Jesus name Amen.